Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a teaching series called People of Hope, a study in 1 Thessalonians. In this series, we will see that even in trials, the way of Jesus offers us encouragement and hope. Thanks for joining us today. Morning, everyone. Today, we finish up our little three-week series called 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting, although just as a reminder, the actual prayer and fasting continues through the end of this week. And if you haven't been with us, the idea behind this series is pretty simple. We wanted to set aside the first fruits of this year of 2022, intentionally seeking the Lord, both individually, but also together as a church body. And if you're following on your notes with me this morning, we've been doing that by committing to abide in Jesus in prayer and fasting. On January 2nd, I talked about this beautiful word in scripture called abide. Jesus comes and says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me will bear much fruit. And one of the ways we can abide in Jesus and experience the life he really wants us to live, the fruitful life, the abundant life, is by practicing the same disciplines or what I would call graces that Jesus practiced in his own life. And we've been focusing on two of them throughout this series. Last week, we talked about prayer, and today, we're talking about fasting. I feel like every time we say that word, we should have that sound effect, because I don't think, as American Christians, We like the idea of fasting too much. I'd go so far as to say a lot of us might be afraid of fasting or we simply just don't want to do it. We don't mind talking about prayer, but when it comes to fasting, no thanks. And I think it's led me to this conclusion, at least in my own life, I'm just being genuinely honest with you right now, this avoidance or reluctance to fast reveals to me that it may actually be the most important spiritual discipline I could practice. In fact, I wonder if as American Christians, fasting is just the thing we need to be doing today to give our lives fully to Jesus because our lives are constantly being filled with messages of more, 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 more. And I think there's probably two reasons we don't hear a lot about fasting today. First, if we're just being honest, fasting developed a pretty bad reputation back in the old days because there was this stress on fasting as this outward form. And what I mean by that is it just became a bunch of rules, a bunch of do's and don'ts. And it started with these monks in the Middle Ages who turned fasting into this extreme denial called asceticism. And I think this idea, this pushback against it still exists in the church today, that fasting is some sort of penance that we inflict on ourselves to make ourselves right with God. And so in our tradition, you know, the Protestant tradition, we react strongly against anything that says we're saved by grace through faith alone, right? And so this idea that fasting became sort of this work. The problem is we threw out the baby with the bathwater, right? Fasting, just like all spiritual disciplines, they're not works that we do in order to earn God's approval. They're things that we practice in order to abide more deeply in Jesus so that his life can flow through our life. Now, the second reason I think we disregard fasting today as a viable practice is because, as John Ortberg says, we live in a society where we worship at shrines with golden arches, 
and temples full of pizza. Fasting seems so out of place, so out of step with the times. The advertising world has done a good job to convince us that if we do not have three large meals a day with several snacks in between, we are on the verge of starvation. Fasting means crucifying king's stomach, and that is not something we like to do. Paul talks about this very thing in Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. He writes, For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Now check that out. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We are citizens of heaven, not of this earth. And sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that, that our greatest joy, our greatest pleasures are not found here and now. They're waiting for us in eternity. And fasting is one of the best ways we can remind ourselves of that. Besides all that, just check out this list of the people in the Bible who fasted. Moses, Hannah, David, Elijah, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Daniel fasted on numerous occasions. The pagan people of Nineveh fasted. They even made their cattle fast. I'm pretty much sure that was an involuntary fast on their part. Paul fasted. The elders at the church of Antioch fasted before they sent out Barnabas and Paul on their mission endeavor. And oh yeah, Jesus doesn't just talk about fasting. Before he even begins his public ministry, Jesus spends time fasting. So friends, if all these people fasted, we need to reclaim the practice of fasting today in the church. My personal belief is we need this discipline more than anything now because the world we live in is conforming us to its image. Fasting is a way to be conformed, I mean transformed into the image of Christ. And so let's start the reclamation project by looking at Jesus' very own words on fasting from Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 16. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, we always say we have some in the seat underneath you there somewhere in those black Bibles. I'd love for you to grab one of those. Follow along if you'd like to. You can find this on page 787 of those black Bibles. Before we dig deep into this, let me uh, say a word of prayer for us. Lord, we acknowledge you this morning. We acknowledge that this is a tough subject, something we don't love or like to talk about a lot in the church. But I pray that we could get rid of any of our fear, any of our guilt that might keep us from this. Help us to see this with new eyes as an invitation that you give us to abide more deeply in you. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start Matthew 6, verse 16. I actually have it printed on your notes there. Could we read it out loud together? It says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. I'm going to read on in verses 17 and 18. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. 
My goal this morning is basically just two things. First, let's talk about what fasting is. And second, I want to talk about why we should consider fasting. When it comes to the how-tos of fasting, there are tons of resources for you to look at through that. I'm not going to have time to get into all that. We actually have some resources at the Connect Center that we've put together. If this is something you want to dive deeper in, uh, there's some books there for you to consider to do that. So let's start about with what fasting is. And to do that, Jesus does the same thing he did last week when it comes to prayer. He talks about what fasting is not. And so the first thing, according to Jesus, if you're following, is that fasting is not self-righteous promotion. It is not self-righteous promotion. And by the way, if you want a good definition of religion, there's a good one right there, right? Religion is self-righteous promotion. Jesus hated that, as we saw last week with prayer. Now, a little context, history here, right? Fasting was mandatory for the Jewish people several times throughout the year, especially on what was called the Day of Atonement. But what Jesus is referring to here, there were some people who kicked this up a notch. The Pharisees actually started this tradition where they fasted two times a week on Monday and Thursday. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that except for the fact, as we see in this passage, they started to turn that into a ploy for public approval. They would do that, as we saw, by letting their hair and their beards go tangled. They'd smear their faces with ashes. Why would somebody do that? So that everybody knew how miserable they were because they were fasting. And Jesus says to them, congratulations, You got the reward that you were seeking, the self-righteous promotion you were trying to pursue so that others would be in awe of you. And then he goes on and says, no, real fasting is between you and the Father, and you don't do it to show off. So listen, when you fast, do what you normally do. Take a shower. Comb your hair. I remember when I used to be able to do that. Those were good days. Anoint yourself with oil, he says. That would be put on some deodorant for crying out loud, right? So that nobody but God knows what you're doing because you're doing it for him anyway, not for anyone or anything else. Fasting is not a means to promote how righteous you are. Number two, fasting is not a way to manipulate God. We talked about this last week with prayer, right? When I enter into a fast, it's not just to get God to do the things I want him to do for me. However, I say that what's cool in these verses is that our father does want to reward us. He does want to reward his children. But listen, the goal of fasting is not to force his hand to do what I want him to do. You know what we call that? That's idolatry turning God into what we talked about, right? This vending machine, getting him to do whatever I want. Now, what makes that difficult is that does not mean we should enter into a fast without some expectations, without some hopes, without some desires to see God do something in our lives. But there's this fine line, right, between God, I am dependent upon you to do something in my life here, as opposed to God, I'm doing this so you better come through for me. Dependency and manipulation are very different things. Third, Fasting is not, quote, suffering to gain God's favor. 
We talked about this a little earlier, right? There's this heretical tradition of Christianity teaches we have to punish ourselves for the forgiveness of sin to earn God's favor. There was a group that, you know, they used to whip themselves every time they'd sin in order to experience the pain of sin in their lives. But I got good news for you. The forgiveness of sin comes with no requirements of punishment. It comes with only three expectations, confession, repentance, and true faith. So we don't deprive ourselves of food as a way to punish ourselves, to gain favor with God. You already have God's favor through Jesus, period. Now, it does not mean the first few times you try fasting, it won't feel like suffering. Can I get an amen there? But that's different. And the number four, fasting is not dieting. It's tempting to see fasting as a great weight loss program. Friends, if you go on the internet at all, you've probably seen intermittent fasting is all the rage. It's great for your health. It's a great way to lose weight. It's almost like God knew something about fasting, right? That it might be good for us. But weight loss is not the primary goal of fasting. The goal of fasting is spiritual transformation, not just physical transformation. But let me take a time out here, especially in a culture that loves their food. We are told in the Bible that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and some of us may need to fast for physical reasons, saying, I have not been taking care of the gift that God had given to me. But again, the primary reason for fasting, it's not dieting, it's abiding more deeply in Jesus. So what is fasting? How would Jesus define it? Simply stated, if you're on your notes again, biblical fasting is abstaining from food for a spiritual purpose. Biblical fasting always centers on spiritual purposes. In most cases, like here in Matthew 6, fasting is a private matter between an individual and God. However, there are many times in Scripture where the people of God are called to a corporate fast or a public fast. That's what we've invited you to do if you're a part of our church family for those 21 days of prayer and fasting. But the normal Scripture means of fasting just means abstaining from food, for a spiritual purpose. Let me unpack that. If you're following again, there are three types of fasts found in Scripture. Absolute, normal, and partial. In an absolute fast, what do you think that means? You take nothing in. No food, no water. That's what Jesus did. On a normal fast, you'll typically go without food for a length of time, but you will still drink water and plenty of it. And then a partial fast is interpreted in many ways, but it usually is about giving up certain types of food or drinks for a period of time. For example, Daniel gives up different kinds of food. In Daniel 1, he eats only vegetables and water for a time. That would be a partial fast. Speaking of Daniel, a Daniel fast is a really popular thing right now, especially among Christians, and it's a, it's a really cool thing. Now, besides food, God may call you to fast from other things that clutter our lives. For example, God may ask us to fast from media. I mean, some of us in this room or watching online right now, we're so enslaved to television, to news. If it was taken away from us, we'd go into withdrawal. This could mean social media as well, right? I want to remind you, 
Everything that we take into our lives, everything is forming us in one way or another. And so we just want to be mindful of that and say, am I being formed more into the image of Jesus or am I being conformed more by the ways of this world? Second, and I think this just deserves a second category, we might need to fast from our phones. I'm speaking to myself on this one, right? Phones, iPhones are an amazing instrument. You are carrying a computer around in your pocket. But if we're not careful, they can control us. There's science behind this, right? Every time your phone buzzes, do you know a little endorphin rush goes off in your brain? And so every time that happens, I gotta get it. I gotta get it. We experience FOMO. Every time you're searching online or you're scrolling through social media, do you know they're running algorithms on you to see here's how we can get you to stay longer and come back more and more? I love what Richard Foster wrote about this. He says, in our home, when we are having a meal together or when I'm reading stories to my boys, we do not answer the television, excuse me, the telephone. You, know, you want to know why? I want those boys to know that they are more important than anything that can be on that machine. If it's important, they'll call back. You just try it sometime as an experience. Just let it ring or beep or buzz and monitor your own feelings. I'll miss the chance of a lifetime. I know you can't believe this, but people have lived for thousands of years without that machine. If it's that important, they will call back. I was confronted with this a few years ago. I had read a book by John Mark Comer, and I started plugging in my phone downstairs at night, and I wouldn't look at it until I'd finished my time with the Lord in the morning. And you know what I discovered? People were okay without me responding to them immediately. Email was still there for me waiting to be answered. The news, I could still check it in the morning afterwards. I didn't have to do it immediately at that moment. And you know what else I realized? I felt better. I felt more peace. I felt more calm. I felt more Rest. I wonder if you would try that and just see how does this making me feel? What am I noticing about not being so attached to my phone? Other example, we may need to fast from caffeine, alcohol, hobbies, shopping, really anything in our lives that we notice. I'm so wrapped up into this right now. It's taking my focus away from Jesus, as Paul wrote in Galatians 5, chapter 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Fasting is a way to say, maybe this thing has enslaved me, put me in bondage and say, no, I have been set free, so for freedom, I am going to live. The truth is, if you're falling on your notes, God may call us to fast from anything that enslaves us or gets in the way of what is most important, abiding in Christ and bearing fruit for his glory. I knew without a doubt, I mean, one of the reasons we did this little three-week series, like God doesn't speak to me in an audible voice, but he was clear to me this November, like after these last two years, and again, I'm sure some of you have experienced that. Just, it's time. 
It's time to set aside some time and make your focus on me for this. I just knew there were things in the world, relationship, other things that were just weighing me down and I needed to fix my eyes on him. Fasting is a great way for us to be able to do that. Now, I know one question people might ask, is fasting a commandment? In other words, is fasting something we should still do today as Jesus' disciples? Even now, I wonder, are people feeling, starting to feel like shame and guilt? Oh, I don't do this enough. Here's all I'd say. It's just not the right question. Whether or not we should fast, it has nothing to do with our salvation. It has nothing to do with proving ourselves to God or making ourselves look better to God. But the question, the better question would be, will a disciple of Jesus still practice fasting today? And to answer that question, there are two important texts for us to consider for our answer. The one was right here in Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus says, when you fast, I wish he said if you fast, but he said when you fast. And the other one is found in Matthew chapter 9. If you got your Bible open, just turn it over a couple of pages. Matthew 9, starting in verse 14, just three chapters over, we read, then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Now read verse 15 on your notes with me there. Jesus says, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will fast. That's perhaps the most important statement in the New Testament on whether Christians should fast today or not. If you're following, Jesus made it clear that his disciples will fast after he was gone. Are we? Last thing I just want to mention detail about fasting is how long should we fast? And again, just like the types of fasts, there's all kinds of variety in scripture about this. You know, we see fasts in the Bible of three days, seven days, 21 days, 40 days. There's also reference to half-day fasts or a 24-hour fast, and I personally am grateful for that because if there weren't a variety, it'd be so easy for us as human beings to start turning this into legalistic rules. But because there's a variety, we're told it's more about your heart than what you're actually trying to do. I know in the past, whenever I fasted, I'd be like so disappointed in myself if I accidentally ate something I wasn't supposed to eat. I was missing the point. The point is I wanna give my heart to Jesus. So whether it's a partial fast, a 40-day fast, just remember God's way more important about your, cares more about your heart than he does about the length or the type of fast that you're doing. So moving on, that leads to the next question of why should we fast then? What is the purpose of fasting? Now, obviously, I've already hinted at this, but there's just one primary reason for fasting. But I will say, out of that primary reasons, I'm going to talk about a number of secondary reasons that we could also choose to fast. And if you're following, this is going to be nothing new. The primary reason to fast is to draw closer to Jesus. It's just to draw closer to Jesus. Fasting is something we do as Jesus' disciples to go deeper on a relationship with him. That's it. The Pharisees use fasting as a means to their own end, but according to Jesus, true fasting centers first and foremost on drawing closer to him. In other words, every other purpose I'm going to talk about when it comes to fasting in the next 15 minutes or so, 
are secondary to this one right here. I'd put it this way. If you're again on your notes, in fasting, we give up food to feast on God. This is what Jesus said in John 4 when his disciples come to him and urge him to eat something. Jesus, you must be starving. Look at what Jesus responds to them when they say that. He said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? So clueless. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. It's not just a clever metaphor. It's a genuine reality. Jesus was being nourished by his father. He was being sustained by his power. That is why he gives us the counsel in Matthew 6. You don't need to be miserable when you're fasting because in fact, you're not miserable. You're feasting on God in an intentional way. Just like Jesus, you can be sustained by him through that fast. Fasting is so important because it reminds us that we can get by with not having certain things in our life, but there's one thing we must always have in our life, our relationship with God. Do you want that? I love what John Piper writes in his book, A Hunger for God, about this. I included this uh, quote on the screen. He writes, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. God did not create you for this. There is an appetite for God, and it can be awakened. I invite you to turn from the dulling effects of food and the dangers of idolatry and to say with some simple fast, this much, oh God, I want you. Fasting can help us separate what we want from what we need and what we need most is Jesus at work in our lives. However, I say all that, and I just want to say here, as we're closing, as we're kind of wrapping this idea up, there are specific needs and specific desires that we are invited to bring before the Lord when it comes to fasting. If you're following in fasting, we can also seek the Lord for breakthrough in our lives. Fasting is a way for us to cry out to God, God, this much, I need you. I need you to work in this area of life. I need a breakthrough. I am dependent upon you for this. This, by the way, is why prayer and fasting go hand in hand. Once when Jesus' disciples were trying to heal a boy with an impure spirit, they were unable to do so, and they're confused, and they ask Jesus, what's the deal here? Why couldn't we heal this boy? And his response in Mark 9, 29 is, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Some things can only happen in our lives with prayer and fasting. And I'm willing to bet there's not one person sitting in this room or watching online right now that doesn't have something in their life that you need God to break through. And fasting along with prayer may be exactly what is needed. Fasting can bring breakthroughs in the spiritual realm that I just don't know can happen any other way. Again, it's not manipulation. It's dependence. I think of it this way. Fasting is like defragmenting a computer. Have you ever had to do that? When your computer really starts to slow down, at some point you got to clean that whole thing up. 
Fasting is somewhat like that, right? It's a way for us to clean ourselves up, to sort of set us back on the right kind of path. It gives God room to break through in our lives. Now, you may be wondering, well, what kind of things can I be fasting from or fasting for to see God's breakthrough? Let me mention a few that we see. First, we can seek breakthrough from what controls us. I mentioned this already, friends, but listen, the Bible is clear. We have three enemies warring against us all of the time. Our flesh, the devil, and the systems of this world that seek to conform us. These things would love to put us in bondage, but fasting can help us to have power over their control in our lives. In 1 Corinthians 6, 12, Paul is quoting the Corinthian church here where they say, I have the right to do anything. I'm free with whatever I want. But then he says, not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Fasting is a great way to make sure we are not mastered by anything, but how easily this happens in our lives if we're not careful. We're neutral things. They're not bad. Neutral things like TV and phones and food and drinks and relationships and clothes and hobbies and money can enslave us to the point we're so dulled that we're never realizing we're not living the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. I think of our human cravings and desires like rivers. If we're not careful, those rivers will begin to grow and start to break over the banks and cause damage. And fastings can sort of keep those rivers in check. This last year and into this next year, we've been meeting every uh, every month as a staff for what we just call Staff Chapel. It's a time for us to be able to worship. You know, not a lot of times we get to worship on Sundays, so we just gather. And we're reading a a book this next year called The Common Rule, and it's written by Justin Early. He's actually going to come and speak uh, to our church this year. I'm really excited about that. But he talks about this idea where we live as Americans thinking freedom means, just like the Corinthians, I can do whatever I want. That's what true freedom means. But I love this quote. I have it on the screen here. He says, we are blind to what the good life really is. We assume that the good life comes from having the freedom to do whatever we want. So to ensure the good life, we have to ensure our ability to choose each moment. But what if the good life doesn't come from having the ability to do what we want, but from having the ability to do what we were made for? What if true freedom comes from choosing the right limitations, not avoiding all limitations? He's right on. He is spot on. Fasting is something that can put around our lives to make sure we're living the life to the full that Jesus offered. And sometimes that means saying no saying no to the things that are seeking to control us. Second, closely related in fasting, we can seek breakthrough from sin. Fasting and repentance go hand in hand in the Bible. There's so many examples I could mention. Ezra, Daniel, he fasted for repentance on the behalf of the Israelites, right? He wasn't even fasting for himself. He fasted for other people's repentance. Nehemiah called a fast for the people to repent of their sin. We're not fasting to be cleansed of our sin. Never forget that. The blood of Jesus took care of that. Fasting, though, is a way to show how serious we are 
about wanting to break free from this thing that is controlling us. Are you enslaved right now by a sin? And you know it. Do you find yourself unable to break free from it? Well, I'll say it again. Some things can only come out through prayer and fasting. But here's the cool thing. We can also fast for things. We can fast for God to do things in our life. For example, if you're following, we might fast for healing. Talking about physical healing. Talking about emotional healing. Do you want to see change in your home? Have you tried prayer and fasting? Are you suffering from an illness? Prayer and fasting. Are you overcome by a spirit of sadness in your life? Have you tried prayer and fasting? Why not? Why not try to seek the Lord for breakthrough in these areas of your life? Some things can only happen through prayer and fasting. Again, you're not manipulating God here. You're crying out to him, God, without you, I don't know what to do. I'm desperate. I'm dependent on you. There is no hope. When I had my kidney disease, when I was waiting for a kidney transplant, you better believe I I prayed and fasted, God, without you, there's no hope. God answered my prayer with a gift of a, of a new kidney there. Some things in our lives can only happen through prayer and fasting. I'm not giving you a guarantee. I'm simply saying, are you willing that desperately to cry out to him to work in your life? We can also fast for broken relationships. Do you have children or family or friends that don't know the Lord? Try prayer and fasting. Are you at odds with different people in your life, your friendships, your relationships? I bet you pray for that regularly, but have you ever tried prayer and fasting? I encourage you, write down the names of some of the people you care about. Enter into a season of prayer and fasting for them, what you want to see God do in their lives, and be expectant. Be acceptant that he might work along with you in that area. And a final area we could might see breakthrough in is fasting is for guidance. Have you ever needed wisdom or direction in life? I think we all do, right? How wise would it be if we turned aside from food and other distractions for a time in order to seek God's guidance? Again, the biblical examples of this are too numerous to mention. Moses did this immediately after Mount Sinai. Jehoshaphat called the people of Israel to fast for God's deliverance. Queen Esther asked the people to fast for strength and wisdom. Jesus himself fasted before he stepped foot in his public ministry. And listen, if Jesus could have received what he needed to receive without fasting, I'm pretty sure he would have done that, but he did fast. He sought the Father's guidance and strength and power to accomplish the purposes that he had set out for him. We don't have to be confused about our future choices. Fast. Seek his face. James reminds us, the Lord loves to give wisdom to his children. Should I take that new job, Lord? Should I marry him? Should I marry her? The list can go on and on and on. It's biblical for you to fast and seek God's guidance and wisdom in those moments of your life. Friends, those are just a few things that we can fast for. But again, they're all secondary to the primary purpose. What's the primary purpose? Don't leave here forgetting it. It's to abide more deeply in Jesus so that you can experience his life 
flowing through your life. And the promise, he says, when you do that, you will live life to the full. You'll live the abundant life. I don't think it's any accident that just 15 verses later in Matthew 6, Jesus says these words in verse 33. Can we read them out loud together? It says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The reason to fast is to draw closer to Jesus, to seek him first, to abide more deeply in him. As you do that, he will give you what you need. As we close now and we prepare ourselves to take communion, I'm gonna close with this question really a question that wraps up this whole three-week series, these 21 days of prayer and fasting. Is my greatest desire to abide more deeply in Jesus in 2022? Is it? If not, here's what I would encourage you to do. I mean, you, you only know that. If not, I'd encourage you to do this. Pray for that. Pray for that desire in your life. If it is, That's my desire this year. I want to see a renewal in my life and my faith. Perhaps he is calling you once again to abide in him through prayer and fasting more intentionally than you ever have before. If so, hear his promise one more time. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. You will live the abundant life I promised to give to you. Can we pray? Father, as we prepare our hearts for communion, it's a good reminder you took objects like bread and wine. You gave them meaning beyond what we sometimes see. This is your body. This is your blood that made us right with you once and for all. This is your body. This is your blood that sustains us. This is your body, this is your blood that reminds us of the new covenant we have in you, a personal relationship with God, that we are adopted and chosen, that we are loved. There's nothing we can do to make you love us more. But it's also a reminder that we need you more than anything else. So help us to consider how fasting might be important in our lives in these weeks, in this year ahead. How we can seek you with a humble heart and a desire to grow closer to you, to abide more deeply in Jesus. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church or to get connected, please visit cherryhillsfamily.org or find us on Facebook. Thanks for joining us.